If you have your copy of God's Word, I want to encourage you to please open it to the New Testament book of Philippians, specifically Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. As you're turning there, I want to give a word of praise and thanksgiving. We were able on Tuesday, December the 26th, to transition home with Emma. So she is home now, and we praise the Lord for that, that God has made that possible. She is doing well. Um, Emma is, is more alert than ever, um, and it's really amazing. She's holding her head up more of her own volition, and that's just exciting things to see, to see her doing that. Still keep praying for the Herod family, for Emma's healing, for mom and dad. Uh, it's been a big transition for us, um, and still working through that. Um, changes happen slowly, and we will find the new normal if such a thing exists, I was reminded of the book by Patsy Claremont, Normal is a Setting on a Hair Dryer. Um, but whatever that looks like for the Herod family, we are going to get there by God's grace. So please keep praying for us to that end. Since this is the last day of the year, I wanted to preach a message, or it was on my heart, to deal with moving forward, to think about where are you going? I'm not talking about the church as a whole, but you, and speaking specifically to the believer, where are you going in this new year? What's the course that you are setting? So really the outline of this message is very simple. So simple, I'm going to give it to you right now. First, we're going to look at what should be our goal. Where should our course lead? What are we aiming for? As the cliche says, if you aim for nothing, you'll hit it every time. So we want to be aiming for something in our Christian walk. Second point. How do we get there? It's great to set a goal, but if you never think through, how am I going to reach that goal, you won't make any progress toward it. Third point will simply be be aware of these challenges. All right? Because any goal you set that is pleasing to God, you will encounter challenges. So our guide in understanding this issue of setting our course toward the goal that God would have us to pursue is found from the Apostle Paul in the book of Philippians. We're jumping in toward the end of an argument that he has been making about the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus. He's saying that is the focus of his life. And he's been making the point that the only way to know Jesus is through grace. That even though he had all the bona fides you could list on your resume to be a, a, a good Jew, to be one who would be pleasing to God, he says, compared to knowing Jesus, those were nothing. And believe me, that's very kind language for what Paul really uses. He basically says, it's like dung. It's nothing. Nothing compared to knowing the Lord. And now in verses 12 through 16, he begins to talk about obtaining or pressing forward toward a goal. Now follow with me as I read this text. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. 
And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Would you please bow with me and let's pray together. Lord, we come before your word confessing our need for your Holy Spirit to illuminate our thinking, to understand and apply it. Be gracious, O Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to you. Give us clarity of thought, Father, and as we begin moving forward into a new year, I pray, Lord, that our hearts would adopt the goals you have for us, that our desire would be what you want in the coming year, and that would be our course. Grant it, Father, I ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, amen. I'm going to talk a lot this morning, as I said, about getting on course toward the goal. Because it is very dangerous when you get off course. I'm going to give you an example of that. Up on the screens, you'll see a picture from a tragedy that happened on January 13th of 2012. That is the cruise ship, the Costa Concordia. It sunk off the coast of Italy. The reason it sunk, the reason it ran into a rock ripping a 174-foot gash in the hole below the waterline. The reason it began to list, the reason it lost power was because of a decision that the captain made. You see, it was common practice for the cruise ships to get close to the islands that lay off the coast of Italy to, so the passengers could see their beauty, could take in the gorgeous environment of those islands. This captain decided, if you'll pardon the pun, to go overboard with that desire. That was bad. I admit that. That was very bad. He went four miles off course. Four miles off the course that he was supposed to have stayed on. And because he was so far off course, he ran into the rocks hidden below the surface. And the result is what you see on the screens. Getting off course is nothing to joke about. Somewhere along the lines, that captain forgot that his number one responsibility was to keep the passengers safe. Stay on course. Unfortunately, you and I share a lot in common with that captain. Our desires will get the best of us. And before we know it, we are off course pursuing things, pursuing things that will lead us away from our walk with the Lord. Now this turn of the year, is a great time for us to think about and to evaluate the direction that we're heading. It's very appropriate for us, as we reflect over joys and over sadness from the past year, to begin looking forward to say, where do I need to go in the coming year? Now we do that, and often we think in terms of very material things. We begin to think in terms of, man, I want to be richer. Paul doesn't go there, though. Most of the time when we think about where we want to be in the new year, we think about, about our health. Resolutions. I'm going to drop 20 pounds and I'm going to run a marathon. The likelihood of either of those happening are very small. I'm just going to be up front with you. Now it's interesting when Paul starts to think about goals, he does think about the body, but not losing weight. Remember, the first thing we're going to talk about is our goal. Let's look at it here. Verse 12 and verse 14, Paul lays out the goal that drives him forward. He says, not that I have already obtained this. Now, that word obtained means what he is pressing after, what he is desiring to reach in his life. He says, I've not obtained this 
or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Now, this isn't the only time he uses the language of pressing on. Look down to verse 14. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, that word press means pursue. So this is something that Paul is saying that he is setting his course toward and he is pursuing with a a sense of determination that drives him to endure persecutions, imprisonment, suffering, deprivation. So the question we ask then is, what in the world would would, would, would grab a person's heart and mind so that they suffer as Paul did? What's the goal? Verse 12, what is the this? What is Paul defining as being perfect? What is it that he refers to in verse 12 as it? Those three things, this, perfect, and it, all refer back to verse 11. He says in verse 11 that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Now think about what he's writing there for a moment. He's saying that my goal is to attain the resurrection of the dead. Now what he's referring to there is the resurrection body. Now you and I are used to thinking in terms of, oh, I desire to get to heaven. I desire to be there. Nothing wrong with that. There are scripture that teach about longing for that eternal city. Other times we may say, well, I desire to know Christ. Nothing wrong with that at all. There are scriptures that talk about pursuing knowing Jesus. But here in this place, Paul says, my goal is to attain, to reach the resurrection of the body. What he's referring to there is what he wrote about in 1 Corinthians 15. When he writes about when Jesus Christ returns, this flesh and blood will be transformed. You see, Paul didn't desire just some uh, some ethereal uh, situation where we are floating around as disembodied spirits. Often when we think of heaven, that's what we envision, some disembodied spirit floating around that can just pass through walls. That was not the concept of the resurrection that Paul had in mind. It's flesh and blood. Just like when Jesus was resurrected, he spoke to the disciples and he said, Here I am, touch me. And you know that post-resurrection, one of the things that Jesus did is he cooked breakfast for the disciples, a fish on the shore of Galilee, and he ate it with them. So we know that the resurrected body will be tangible and you'll be able to eat. Hallelujah! Paul says, for this, this body that's corruptible, it has to put on incorruption. This body that is mortal, that wastes away, has to put on immortality. It has to be transformed. And Paul says, that's what I'm looking toward. That is the goal I want to obtain. Now, it's a very logical question now to ask, why that? It's because Paul's goal is about total victory. Jesus didn't just come to redeem a spirit. He came to redeem the world. He didn't just come to redeem your heart. He came to redeem your body. So when Paul talks in terms of resurrection, he is talking about total victory when Jesus returns and he crushes Satan under his feet so that Satan's 
power is now completely and utterly destroyed. He is looking forward to the day when sin itself, sin that inhabits our bodies, that causes us to desire things that are contrary to God. He's saying, I'm looking forward to the day when my body no longer desires to sin, when I will be totally free from the curse. That's what Paul is looking forward to. And he says, I've not obtained it. You see, there were those that were teaching, as long as you were saved in spirit, it didn't matter what you did in the flesh. You see, the philosophical winds that blew around Paul often taught that there was this great divide between the material and the spiritual. And that what you did in the, the spirit was one thing, and what you did in the body had no bearing upon the spirit. Now that type of thinking is easily set into in our world today where we distinguish between life at church and life at work. I have my spiritual life and my real life. Christianity allows for no such division. Paul addresses this thinking in verse 18. Look down at it in your text. He says, many, for many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. It's as if he's saying, if you live with that divide, you don't understand the Christian faith. Their God is their belly. You know what he's saying there? They live and die by their own desires. Their God is not the Lord of heaven. It's what they want. It's what they want in their heart, what drives them. The fleshly desires. He says they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. So Paul is saying, we don't live with such a distinction. He says, your faith is not just about the salvation of your spirit. It's about the salvation of your body, too, that one day will occur. Now, another logical question is this. Why does Paul speak of obtaining something that is already promised with the gospel? In other words, when you're saved, when you're saved, you are promised the resurrection. So if Paul is saved, and I believe he was, that'll sink in in a few minutes. Why does he speak of obtaining something he's already promised? The reason is this, and I'll give you two. First is his understanding of salvation. To him, salvation wasn't just a done deal. Paul understood salvation in the sense that he has been saved, he is being saved. In other words, what Jesus did on the cross and his faith in that event, historical event, is now being played out as he is transformed and being saved. That's why Paul writes in Romans that he wrestles in the flesh with the desires to do one thing, but then he finds himself doing something else. He says, I'm being saved because I know that intense struggle. And then he says, one day I will be saved. And he recognizes that that middle section... How you encounter that reflects if you've been saved. In other words, if you don't enter into the battle with the flesh and you don't try to live out your faith, Paul would ask, do you really have faith? Have you really been saved if there's no attempt, no desire to live that out in your life? And so Paul is saying, I've been saved, so now I'm going to live my life in such a way that I am pressing forward to attain final salvation because that is evidence that I know Christ. Second reason that he sets as a goal the resurrection of the dead, even though he's promised it already, is that your goal will determine your life. 
In other words, you will adjust your life to reach the goal you have set. Now let's go back to this whole idea of New Year's resolutions. Suppose something comes over me and I lose my mind and I think, okay, okay, okay. Mark Haird, you've got to get down to business, brother. You've got to lose some weight and get in shape. And I go overboard with that. Not only am I going to lose weight and get in shape, and by the way, I'm not saying I'm going to do that. This is hypothetical. I'm going to become a bodybuilder. That's right. Pastor and Mr. Universe. It's an obtainable goal. Not really, but let's just, let's just for the sake of this. So, I'm going to pursue a lifestyle of exercising and eating, lifting weights, bulking up, getting large. Yeah! Okay? But now suppose I'd gone another way, and I said, no, 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 no. I don't want to bodybuild. I want to run a marathon. That's right. I'm going to run a marathon. So now my goal is different. My exercise pattern is going to be different. I don't see many bodybuilders running marathons. What I see are really, 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 really skinny people that are disgusting. That, did I say that? That, that are out there running that. You know what? You don't bulk up to run a marathon. You don't get large to run a marathon. Two different goals require two different sets of actions. So when Paul says, I'm setting my goal, the resurrection of the dead, that's going to dictate how I live my life to attain that goal. So when he sets that as the goal, the final end of Jesus Christ returning, he is saying, that is what I'm after. The goal is going to dictate how I live. Now let's put the reverse on that. Right now, what does your lifestyle say about your goal? You see, it's one thing to say, I want to know Christ. But if my lifestyle shows no effort in practicing the spiritual disciplines of pursuing the things of Christ, then my goal is just lip service. But if I am serious about saying, I want to obtain the resurrection, then I'm going to put into practice the things that will help me attain that goal. Which leads us to the second point. How do we reach that? Notice what Paul says. This is verse 13. Okay, I've not made it my own. I'm not there yet. But one thing I do. Now, the one thing he does is actually in verse 14. I press on. He doesn't quit. He does not quit. But there are two things in verse 13 that lay the foundation for his tenacity. First thing you want to do if you want to reach the goal is this. You've got to develop the ability to forget. In other words, you can't dwell on the past and keep moving forward. Now, when I say forget, when Paul writes that, he's not talking about erasing things from your memory. We can't do that. Things that happen are etched in our memory. Sights, actions, smells, all that, that's there. Forgetting is the idea of not dwelling on those things you see our thinking takes primes, uh, primes, the prime spot in this look at verse 13 I do not consider his thinking so if we want to attain the goal it starts in our thinking and our thinking must be disciplined not to dwell on the things of the past Paul remembers his past the beginning of verse 3, that's what he gives a litany of all of his achievements. A Pharisee, the Pharisee, Hebrew, the Hebrews, persecutor. 
but I'm forgetting about all that. I'm not dwelling on that. I want to dwell on Christ. It is the discipline to direct your mind to think, to think on things that are godly. Isn't that what Paul wrote in Romans 12? Don't be conformed to this world, but be what? Transformed. How are you transformed? By the renewing of your mind. Pursuing the goal starts with your mindset. Don't dwell on the past. And then he says, what else? He says, I'm going to move forward to what lies ahead. Straining. Now, he doesn't go into a list of how-tos here. He starts with your thinking of don't dwell on the past, but press forward. And what that means is there may be changes we have to make. I think the author of Hebrews is making the same point that Paul does in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. You'll see it up on the screen. The author of Hebrews wrote, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses. It's the idea of, a, of an auditorium where the witnesses are watching. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin. Now, I understand that to be two different things. Weights are things that are not necessarily wrong in and of themselves. They're just not appropriate at all times. And you need to leave that beside. So he's saying, if I want to forget the past and I want to press forward, there are certain things that are good in and of themselves. But if I'm not careful, they can take up an inordinate amount of time. Hobbies. Watching TV. Time spent doing things that, once again, those actions are not necessarily wrong. It's just recognizing the right time and place. Once again, to use an athletic imagery, uh, because in my mind I imagine doing athletic stuff. I've seen these people that run, and when they're run, training for a race, they will get this harness, and they'll put this harness on, and attached to the back of a harness is a parachute. And when they run, the air, of course, it, it causes the parachute to, to open, creating resistance. If I tried that, it would pull me down. So when they're running, they've got this resistance. But you know what? I have never seen a race where a runner came out and said, oh, wait a minute, I've got to get my parachute on. Because when the race comes, you want to take that off. It's right in its time and place. But when it comes to run the race, you've got to lay it aside if you want to win. Paul's saying the gun, the starting gun, is sounded. This is time to lay off those weights that would slow you down. So we need to have wisdom and discernment to know what things are good, but they need to be kept in their proper time and place so that I can lay them aside. I remember a few years ago, I got caught up in watching a, a, a Monday night football game. And I was thinking, man, I gotta, I gotta get to bed. I gotta get to bed because you know I gotta get up early. But man, I want to see how this turns out. I gotta get up early because I want to pray. And then it dawned on me at some point, how many of those football players would be willing to stay up late and watch me preach? And I thought, okay, click, I'm going to bed. Sometimes you've got to draw the line. And have discernment to know when. And then he says strain forward. To keep that in front of you. So that you will do what is necessary. And notice in verse 14 he describes it as press on toward the goal. So he wants to imagine something. This is where your divine imagination comes into play. He says I want to press forward. Look how he describes it. Toward the goal for or because of the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now that phrase upward call is once again taken from the athletic arena it was the call that was given to the winners when they were to receive their wreath 
when they were victorious in the Olympic Games, there would be the, the medal ceremony, except at that time it was wreaths. And they would call out their name. Winner of the boxing matches, Mark Herod. And hearing their name, they would step forward. So what Paul is envisioning here is that day when he stands before God and he hears him say, Paul, well done, my good and faithful servant. Could you imagine that for just a moment? On that day, hearing your name called and hearing God say, well done. See, there's nothing greater than the praise of the one who is worthy of praise. You know, it's one thing to hear somebody watch me say, play basketball and say, man, you're pretty good. It's another thing for LeBron James to watch me play and say, you're pretty good. He's saying here, I'm living for that day to hear my Lord. But notice something. It's the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul never gets away from grace. He says that call will come because of Jesus Christ. That's the same motivation he has for pursuing, for pursuing the resurrection. Look back to verse 12. Because Christ Jesus has made me his own. I'm pursuing that because of grace. I'm pursuing straining forward because of grace. Now, remember, everything he's mentioned here deals with your mindset. But your mindset has to come to play in action. So, if you have the mindset of forgetting what lies behind and straining forward, what will you do to implement that? Now, it's the spiritual disciplines that Christians have practiced for millennia. Prayer. Being in the Word. The tool that Nathan mentioned earlier is fantastic in helping us do that as a body. That if we're serious about pursuing, why would we not be in the Word, reading it together, sharing, encouraging one another? practicing those things not letting our desires be lip service now as I said though the minute you do that there will be challenges so we've seen our goal to obtain the resurrection of the dead we've seen how to do that perseverance through forgetting and moving forward because of that day now the challenges I could spend another hour another hour talking about those challenges but Paul mentions I think three that we can be aware of here First is this, notice in verse 15, let those who are mature think this way. First challenge is this, having an incorrect self-assessment. Paul deals with maturity. He says the mature mind's going to think a certain way. And when he talks in this verse, when he says in verse uh, 15, let those who are mature think in this way, what way is this? The mature believer realizes he's not there yet. The mature believer recognizes that he or she needs people to help. That they've not obtained the level of spirituality that they need to have. You see, it's real easy for us to have an incorrect self-assessment just to think that because we're going through the motions of coming to church and reading that everything is a-okay. But he says here, the mature recognizes they are not there yet. So we need a proper self-assessment. We need the help of other believers to encourage us along. We need to take a hard look at where we are. We need an x-ray of the soul. 
So the first challenge we face is let's get a correct assessment. Are we mature? Second thing is this. Notice what he says. If any, uh, it, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. So he's saying if there's a difference, God's going to show it. But the question is, are we teachable to learn? So the second challenge is this, not having a teachable spirit. If God reveals an area where we're wrong or where we understand what maturity is or we have the wrong goal, are we willing to receive that correction? That's hard for us. None of us wakes up in the morning thinking, boy, I hope I'm told how wrong I am today. But as believers, we need the attitude that says, Lord, teach me. Show me if I'm wrong in how I'm seeing things. So we must overcome the challenge of having a heart that is not teachable. The final one is found in verse 16. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Paul is saying, even if we disagree on these things, live. Live to what you have attained in Christ already. The challenge is this procrastination I think Paul is saying in other words start where you are even if you don't agree with what I'm saying start where you are start pursuing these things it's so easy for us to become discouraged start off the new year man I'm gonna read the Bible I'm gonna pray and then after about the first week things get busy and hectic we fall by the wayside and then we think oh, I'm done with Paul's saying, don't do that. Start where you are. Don't wait for the perfect. Don't, don't say, well, I don't, I don't understand the Bible. Don't let that stop you from reading it. I don't have to understand how the six-cylinder combustible engine works to start my car. Thank God. I don't have to understand all the ins and outs to open the Word and say, Lord, this is your Word. Teach me. And begin reading. I fall asleep when I pray, though. Pray shorter prayers. I, I like this, Lord, help me. I've prayed that a lot. In other words, don't let past failures, remember, forget about them, stop you from reaching future blessing. What's your course? What's it set on? I want to ask you to bow your heads with me right now. Nathan's going to join me. Both of us will be here in the front. If you want someone to pray with you, both of us are here. You may need to come and just kneel on the kneeling bench by yourself, and that is fine. But you know what? It may even be where you are as you take an assessment of your course. You recognize you need.